Open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. We have a full uh, family day uh, today as a church family. We've shared communion together. We've worshiped together. We're going to study the scripture together. We're also going to uh, commission uh, five separate teams uh, who are headed literally around the world in the next month or two at the end of our services today. So Matthew chapter 6. I want to learn how to talk to God. Um, and I bet you do too. That's one of the greatest privileges that we have in this life is that we have a God who has made himself available to us. I mean, you, you could not, if you work for an organization that has a CEO, uh, I bet if you're a regular person, you could not just march yourself into uh, his or her office tomorrow and, and just sit down for a chat. If you work for a school, you can't pop by the superintendent's office on your way to your classroom in the morning and just shoot the breeze about how the weekend is. And, and yet we have a God who has said, uh, you don't need a uh, pastor or a religious leader to run interference between you and me. You can speak directly to me and God can speak directly to to you. So if that is the privilege that we've been given, I want to learn how to talk to God. This is what the disciples were asking when they asked Jesus to teach them to pray. And that's what I wanted to talk about today. The Lord's Prayer, um, which I think that we should petition to rename. I don't know who we petition about it. I don't think that's a decision that we can make here this morning. Uh, but um, more than the Lord's Prayer, I think it was the disciples' prayer because it was a prayer that he gave the disciples to teach them how to pray. So let's read it together. Um, you looking at your copy of the scripture and me looking at mine from Matthew chapter 6. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Right? Luke sets the Lord's Prayer or what I'm renaming as the disciples' prayer in Luke chapter 11 in a different context. In Matthew's gospel, it appears in the Sermon on the Mount, but in Luke's gospel, verse 1, it says, On one day, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. If you were a disciple, and make sure you understand, lots of people had disciples in first century Israel. This wasn't unique to Jesus. Uh, in fact, John the Baptist, who was the prophet God had sent to prepare people's hearts and lives to adequately receive Christ, the eternal son of God, um, he had disciples. In fact, a couple of Jesus' disciples were first John's disciples. Long story short, that's too many times to say the word disciple in a few sentences. Long story short, Jesus' disciples are saying, hey, this other guy, he taught his followers how to pray, but we've been watching you pray. That's how Luke starts it. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. We've been watching you pray, and we want to pray like that. And we know that's a thing that teachers do with their disciples because John the Baptist had done it with his disciples, but we don't want to pray like John. We want to pray 
like you. We teach us to pray. And we need to recover that today as motivation for, for prayer. Most of us, we are driven to prayer based on our needs. So when our needs are high, either we have a lot of needs at the same time, or we have a need that is beyond our ability to fix it for ourselves, then we are driven to prayer. But what about in moments and hopefully weeks and months and years, even when your needs are not that big, what will drive us to prayer? Well, the thing that drove the disciples to prayer in the first place is we want to be like you. A disciple was an, a, a lifestyle of imitation. The disciples are trying to imitate Jesus in everything that he does, the way he teaches, uh, the way he responds to people. He taught them how to pray for people. He taught them how to cast out demons. This is why Peter wants to walk on the water uh, after seeing Jesus do it, because disciples imitate their teacher and they want to imitate him in praying. And so we need to recover being like Christ as a motivation for praying like Christ. So whether you have a lot of needs today or you have none, we all need to become more like Christ. And one of the ways that we do that is by praying. And so this is how he teaches them to, to pray. He, they're asking him for um, something very intimate. We want to talk to God the way that you talk to God. Now, if you asked a rocket scientist or a brain surgeon, hey, I want to be like you. Tell me what I have to do. Tell me what I need to know. And that's going to be super complicated, isn't it? I mean, I can imagine just a whiteboard filled with math and, you know, pictures of people's brains and stuff. It's going to be super complex. And the complexity would make us impressed with them. Wow. You know, that's amazing. If a brain surgeon just gave you a very simple answer, well, you know, essentially you cut and, you know, I don't know, dig stuff out. That's, uh, you know, <laughs> that's all there is to it. That would not, we would be scared uh, and terrified, but that would, we would not be Im impressed, right? So Jesus has been asked something in which he could give an answer that is very impressive to his disciples. We want to talk to God the way that you talk to God. He could have given, well, hey, that's going to be super hard because uh, you don't know the time that I'm putting in. Uh, you don't know the words that I'm saying. You don't know the theology that I know. You're going to have to understand, uh, you know, a portion of Numbers chapter 3 before you can really pray like I pray. He doesn't do any of that. In fact, what he gives them is so simple that... Every single one of us today could begin to practice it today. And so he gives us what we know as the Lord's Prayer. I thought it would be helpful since the Lord's Prayer is pretty familiar to us is to say it in a different way uh, this morning. And so if you're writing things down, our first stop is I talk to my father. I talk to my father. Verse 9 of Matthew chapter 6. This then is how you should pray our Father in heaven. God being a father is, is not new to the disciples. They would have known that. Exodus chapter 4, verse 4, the second book of the Bible. God says about himself, Israel is my son, my firstborn. God as father was one of the many truths that Israel had about God. But it was not the dominant one. In fact, Jesus refers to God as Father more in this one sermon in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 than in all of the Old Testament combined. Now you might 
say, well, that's because Jesus is literally God's son. So it makes sense that he would refer to God as father. But that is something that Jesus has shared with us. That's why Galatians chapter four, verse six says, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, father, when you believed in Jesus, you received the spirit of God and the spirit of God now inside of you is saying you are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. He's calling out Abba, Father, which means Daddy, God. Romans chapter 8 says the same thing in verse 15. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Our Father. One of my favorite things that happens around here is when a child is baptized, they have, with their childlike faith, believed in the life, death, resurrection, and return of Jesus. And so they show that by being baptized. And, and we let people who are important to you in your faith journey uh, do the baptizing. And so um, parents will often baptize their children. And one of the things I love to hear is when a mom or dad, when they're getting ready to, to baptize their child, they'll say, uh, I baptize you my brother or my sister. This is mom or dad saying my brother or my sister, because we are all a family. It doesn't matter whether you're young or you are old. If you have received Christ, then we are brothers and sisters and God is our father. And this is the thing that prayer is built on, a personal relationship between God and his children. That's why it says in verse six, Jesus says, but when you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. This is something personal prayer is. And he also says, when you talk to God, don't babble like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Um, don't use a bunch of religious gobbledygook. That's uh, in the Bible, actually. It's in uh, Genesis 17. Uh, right. But we feel that pressure when we're talking to God. We, we, we don't talk to him like ourselves. Parents, can you imagine your kids coming home from school and they say to you, uh, what has thouest prepareth me for a snack? You know, I beseech you for a Capri Sun. You know, you're like, go back to school. You know, like, I don't. But we do that with God. I'm a regular person, but then in prayer, I, I suddenly speak Shakespearean English. Right? But, you know, sometimes we use these and thous and arts in our corporate worship experience in our songs. Or, uh, and that's fine because it reminds us that we're not the only Christians, that we are standing on the shoulders of lots of people who come along the way. But that's different than when you and I are talking directly to our father. Our, our father doesn't want a pretend version of you. He doesn't want a religious mask. Imagine for, if you're a parent, if your kids came to dinner every night wearing a mask. You know, if they're two, you might think it's cute. But when they're 14, you know, I, I just want to have dinner with you, not this mask that you're wearing. Because prayer is built on a relationship between father and sons, father and daughters. Our father who art in heaven. Number two, I talk to my father who is holy. I talk to my father who is holy. Verse 9, hallowed 
be your name or holy be your name. In Exodus chapter 3, it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the father, far side of the wilderness and came to Oreb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer. And God said, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Hallowed or holy be your name, your name, your reputation, everything about God. My father's name is different than every other name. That's why we don't want to take the, the name of the Lord in vain, the Ten Commandments tell us. No matter which name you're talking about, God, Jehovah, Yahweh, Adonai, Lord, we don't take it in vain because it's different. It's, it's sacred. It's set apart and it deserves glory and honor and worship from us. And I want to protect it from my natural cynicism that we have. See, if, if we just are thinking of God as our Father, then eventually, as we do, we'll, we'll lose the wonder and the majesty of God. And we'll just treat Him as if His name were any of our names. But it's our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Right? It guards us from two temptations and these are not original to me. They are historic. Every preacher has said them since the beginning of time. It guards us from the temptation of Eden, which is to make God like us, and the temptation of Babel, which is to make ourselves like God. In the Garden of Eden, Satan comes to Eve and essentially says, you know, there's not that big of a difference between you and God. The only difference between you and God is this piece of fruit. And if you eat it, you'll be just like him because he's not that much different than you. But in Babel... Genesis, uh, they're building a tower and they say, we're going to build a tower to the highest heaven and we'll make a name for ourselves and then no one will be able to, th to thwart us. And we fight those two temptations inside us to make God more like us or to believe that we are more like God. Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. I'm going to hold this name apart and then give it all the glory that such a name deserves. Number three, I talked to my father about his kingdom Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God has a kingdom right now. We can't see it because it's in heaven. But in his kingdom, his will is done and everything is according to his design. Jesus preached the message of God's coming kingdom. Matthew chapter 4, verse 14. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Mark chapter 1, the time has come. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Luke chapter 4, verse 43. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns because this is why I was sent. His, the miracles that Jesus did, they were miracles, but they were also revelations of God's coming kingdom revealed on earth. In God's kingdom, there is no death, so Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. In God's kingdom, there is no de disease, so Jesus stays. After the Sabbath sun goes down, he stays in a home in Capernaum, Peter's home, and people just bring him the sick and diseased, and he heals them in 
the kingdom, demons have no authority. So Jesus casts out demons. In God's kingdom, there is no pain. So he straightens the woman who had been hunched over and her back was broken and she couldn't raise herself. His miracles, they're not just gifts to those people. They're revelation. This is what God's kingdom is like and this is what is coming. But God's kingdom is a mustard seed right now. We can't see it. But when Jesus returns, the scripture says that the kingdom of this world that we are all living in right now is going to become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah. Revelation chapter 11 verse 15. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah and he will reign forever and ever. So we pray for God's kingdom to come in two ways. First, we pray for Christ's return. That's something that you and I should always be praying about. Whenever I read the New Testament, it is the thing that I feel the most out of sync with. They desired for Jesus to return at a level that I don't. In fact, they're making huge life decisions because they are expecting Christ to return physically back to earth any day now. Uh, we fall into a, a trap. Uh, we divide um, spiritual and regular life for the most part. We kind of have two buckets. There's either like spiritual stuff, and that's what we're doing today. When you pray, spiritual stuff. You read your Bible, spiritual stuff. When you help somebody, spiritual stuff. And then there's kind of the re- everything else that we do. We go to work. We have kids. We do sports. We uh, watch TV. We're on you know Instagram, all, Facebook, all, all of that. That's like regular stuff. Then we do spiritual stuff. And most of the time, that's fine. It's easily divided. But then you get to a thing like Christ returning. And it's, we just drop it in the spiritual bucket. And so it, it's so spiritual, it means nothing. But, but Christ returning, is a re- that's a regular thing that is going to happen. His regular feet are going to hit regular ground here. The Old Testament says right outside of Jerusalem. And you are going to find out about it either supernaturally all at one time or... I don't know, somebody's going to send you a text message. Hey, you hear about Jesus? He's back. I don't, I don't know how it's going to come. But that is a earthy thing that is going to happen. Right? And when he comes, he is going to bring his kingdom, God's kingdom back with him. And everything will be according to his design. And so we should be praying for that to happen. Because the, the, the first Christians, they were totally committed to it. And like I said, they're making huge life decisions based on it. That's why Paul didn't get married. That's why he encouraged you if you were single and you could kind of hold yourself together lust-wise to not get married. Because why would you get married? Christ could come at any day. You might as well be useful to his kingdom, more useful than you would be. You won't be distracted with, you know, being married and stuff. That's in the Bible, by the way. That's not like, that's not, I was not ad-libbing there. When you make huge life decisions, have you even, forget you, have I even one time been like, well, I don't know. Christ could come at any moment. Maybe I don't need to buy this house. Maybe I should rent because Christ could come. I don't know. Should I move? Should I take this job? Have any of us even ever one time, and this is is no judgment, this is me too. Have any of us ever one time thought about Christ's return and then made a decision? But we should add in, your kingdom come, Christ, will you return into our prayers? 
then we should also ask for Christ's kingdom, God's kingdom to be experienced on earth where it is possible. If God is going to delay in Christ's return, then where possible, just as in the days of Jesus and the days of apostles, could you let things be according to your kingdom? This is why we pray for people to be healed, because God loves us, but also it's a revelation of God's kingdom. This is why we ask God for miracles for ourselves and for people that we love. That's why we ask for things to be fixed in our societies, to be more aligned with God's eternal and coming kingdom. One thing that's been very helpful to me recently is every morning I've been reading the last two chapters of the Bible. Whatever else I do before that, I finish my, my reading time with reading the last two, two chapters of the scripture, Revelation 21 and 22, because it talks about what God's kingdom is going to be like when it returns, when there's a new heaven and new earth and new Jerusalem. And the prayer is, is that by reading what will be, it will help me know how to live today. And, and what am I living today and the choices that I'm making and the way that I am thinking and being and loving people, is it in line with what will be? God, let what will be be done today. Number four, I talk to my father about what I need. Verse 11, give us today our daily bread. You notice that the first half of the Lord's prayer is about God and his purpose. And the second half is about what the disciples need. Give us today our daily bread. Now this didn't just appear out of nowhere. This is a very specific metaphor. It's a reference to manna in Exodus chapter 16, verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. See, God had made a promise. He had made a covenant with Israel. He said, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. And I'm going to take you to a land flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be rich. It's going to be fertile. You're going to have everything that you need. I'm going to be your God. You commit to being my people. Exodus chapter 19. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites, God said to Moses. So he makes a covenant with them. So God's part of the covenant is I'm going to take care of you. Well, they're living out in the wilderness. They've been slaves in Egypt. So not their home. God rescues them from that slavery. He's taking them to a place where they'll build permanent homes. But in between is a desert. And they're all living in tents. And God, our God is different. He says, instead of you trying to get to where I am, you're living in tents in the wilderness. Then I'm going to come and live in a tent in the wilderness. And so he has the Israelites build him a tent. And he gives very specific instructions. This is all at the end of the book of Exodus. You can read about it. And so he's living with them. But they come to him and they're like, hey, we're out here in the wilderness. We can't plant gardens. We're hungry. And there's no food around. There's no, you know, can't pop into the H-E-B and uh, get something for dinner tonight. And God says, don't worry, I'm going to give you bread every morning. When you wake up, there's going to be bread on the ground. But there's only going to be enough bread for that day. And he says, this is how I'm going to test you. If you try to take more bread than just your daily bread, then it's all going to rot. And that's exactly what happened. So when Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread, it is an asking for what we need, yes. But it is also an expression of trust. God, I trust you 
that you are going to give me what I need for today. What is worrying me is tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that and the day after that. But I am just trusting you to give me what I need today. That you will be faithful. You have made a covenant with us. You've promised to be our God and we are your people. And so you're going to give me what I need. As I said, what drives most of us to prayer is our list. And I have a real love-hate relationship with my kids' Christmas lists. Um, On one hand, I love them because I love my children and I want to know what it is that would make them happy for a few minutes. Um, (laughs) And, uh, you know, uh, instead of guessing. On the other end, uh, what I hate about Christmas lists is sometimes they just become grounds for negotiation. You know, listen, I asked for 10 things. But I will be fine if I get the top three things. You know, I'm like, that's not the way Christmas works. This is, this is taking all the Christmas spirit out, out of me. The, the problem with bringing a list to God and letting the list drive our prayer, as we've already mentioned, when we don't feel like there is anything on the, that important on our list, we don't pray. The other thing that's dangerous is it makes me being loved entirely dependent on God's response to my list. So if a list of, I need this, I need this, I want this, I need this, I need this, I need this, is is, is what our prayers consist of, what happens when God does not just start checking off? What happens when he didn't hold up his end of the negotiation that he didn't really make with us in the first place? Then we get our feelings hurt and we're like, well, God doesn't love me. Because we have only given him, this is the choice that you have. Either give me the things that I want on my list, they're important to me, or there's no point in us talking anymore. But if you and I are leaving prayer, we should be loved by God. We should know that we are loved. We should feel loved by God. Why? Because he is our father. Every conversation you leave with the Father, you should feel love. Even when he disciplines us, the scripture says, it's a sign of his love and care for us. He wants us to be more fruitful. Give us today our daily bread. Yes, it is asking for what I need, but it is also an expression of trust. God, I trust you that you're going to be faithful. Next, I talk to my Father about forgiveness. I receive and give. I talk to my father about forgiveness I receive and give. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. As I mentioned, God made a covenant with the Israelites. I will be your God and you will be my people. But if you read the law and the prophets, they were not very good at being his people. They worshiped lots of other gods. So God makes a promise through the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel. And with the people of Judah. And so when Jesus in Luke chapter 22, which we referenced earlier, in the same way after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. There has been a new covenant made, but not a covenant made on God will be faithful and I will do my best. But God will be faithful and Jesus has offered his best. And his blood and sacrifice offers me forgiveness. That's why the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 
chapter 3, verse 6, says he has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not the, of the letter, but of the Spirit. Right? We have forgiveness available to us. Which means that when we talk to our Father, we can talk from our whole self. Most of the conversations we have with people come out of our shallow self. And I think that's fine. You know, if somebody asks you how your weekend is, I don't think that they want you to start crying right there. I think they're just being polite. You know? And for society to keep functioning, I think we need to operate at that level of shallowness at some point. But you do need relationships where you're able to speak out of your whole self, from the depths of you. And by Jesus building in, forgive us of our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, it gives us the ability to talk to our Father from our whole self. Because we have nothing to hide. Because at the same time we're confessing our sins, we are able to receive forgiveness which Jesus has already purchased for us. So in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus has expected us to need forgiveness. Isn't that good news? Which means what God wants from you is you, not a perfect version of you. He's already built into your relationship with Him the means to receive forgiveness so that you can talk to Him wholly and truly. You don't have to keep it shallow with Him. He is prepared for your imperfections. And then He says, forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We won't turn there for time, but later on in Matthew's gospel, Jesus tells, us to, tells a parable in chapter 18 of a servant who was forgiven 10,000 bags of gold. That's what he owed uh, to another master, and the master forgives him when he starts crying, and he didn't keep it shallow. He, he, uh, he started crying. The master said, fine, forgiven, but then that servant goes to a person who owed him a hundred coins of silver and throws that guy into jail, and um, long story short, we have no right to be less merciful than God. I'll say that again. We have no right to be less merciful than God. What someone owes against you is less than what you owe and I owe against God. And so if God has forgiven us, then we pass that forgiveness on. And if we refuse to offer that forgiveness it tells us that we have not understood the forgiveness that we have asked for from God. And finally, I talked to my father about temptation and the evil one. Verse 13, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Just the two chapters before in Matthew's Gospel, and I don't think it's on accident that forgiveness is brought up or temptation is brought up here in the Lord's Prayer the way that Matthew arranges it. Jesus is tested in the wilderness. And Satan comes to him with three tests. After Jesus has fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, verse 31, the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Verse 5, then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And they will lift you up on their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. 
Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I think that Satan tempted Jesus around three questions. Question number one, Will I have what I need? Question number two, Will I be safe? Question number three, Will I succeed? Jesus has fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Satan comes to him and says, Just use your power to turn these stones into bread. Question number two, Satan takes Jesus to the highest point of the temple. Just jump off. The scripture says the angels will save you. You'll be fine, right? Question number three. Listen, you're here so that the whole world will, will, will follow God's ways. Be in his kingdom. That his will will be done on earth. That's the whole purpose you're here. Let's just skip all the hard stuff. Just worship me and I'll give you all of the kingdoms of the world. Are you sure that you'll succeed if you do it God's way? All three questions are trying to undermine Jesus' trust in his Father. Take matters into your own hands. And I would guess that these three questions, we are still vulnerable to temptation around them. To say, am I able to trust? If I really do things God's way, if I really trust Him from daily, for daily bread, will I actually have what I need? If I trust Him, will I be safe? Will I be secure? And will I succeed at whatever, work, being a husband, a wife, a mom, dad, you fill in the blank. All to undermine the credibility of our Father. And when our Father's credibility has been undermined in our minds and hearts, we talk to Him less. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. Prayer is the greatest privilege that any of us have ever received. And I just want to challenge us this week. Just very simply, could we talk to the Father more this week than we did last week? And what are we going to talk to Him about? We're going to talk to Him about His holiness. We're going to talk to Him about His kingdom. We're going to talk to Him about the things that we need. We're going to talk to Him about forgiveness. And we're going to talk to Him about the ways that we're being tempted. So, Father, we pray together now and we ask for your help. We teach us to pray. That's what we want. We want to learn how to talk to you. Amen. Amen. So, we're going to practice now. Uh, we're going to have the opportunity to talk to our Father and ask our prayer folks to come and take their places here in the front. If you're a guest with us, you can go ahead and stand to your feet. If you're a guest with us, we finish all of our gatherings by praying for one another. Go ahead and stand. I want to invite you to come and talk to your father. Of course, you can do that where you are. But Jesus said when we talk to God together, there's something special there.
That's a very powerful and holy thing to hear somebody else praying for you. It builds us up in a way that I think that praying by ourselves doesn't. And so do you need daily bread of some kind today? Come and pray. Do you need or asking God's kingdom to be revealed in your life or in the life of somebody that you care about? Uh, Come and pray. Do you need forgiveness today? Uh, Come and pray. Do you need to offer forgiveness, but that's been hard? Come and pray. Do you just want to worship God through prayer? Has it been a long time since you've prayed? Come and pray. Lord, we offer you these things. We thank you, Father, that you hear us. Thank you that you know what we need before we even say it. You know the hairs on our head. You know the things that we need. The birds of the air are clothed and flowers of the field are beautiful. And and are we not more important than those? So we offer you these prayers boldly and confidently. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's sing together. As God stirs your heart for prayer for yourself or for somebody else, you don't hesitate to come.